0: Yes, please edit this one down, but I think that there's some funny things in there, so (laughs) please let some of them in.
1: (laughs) Okay. Welcome to the Montague Reporter Podcast. My name is Sarah Brown-Anson. I'm the host and producer. And I'm here with Mike Jackson.
0: I am the managing editor of the Montague Reporter newspaper. Thanks for for having me on. Thanks for continuing to do this cool podcast.
1: Of course. Thank you for being here as my co-host and perennial guest.
0: Thank you to all of our our listeners, our perennial listeners.
1: It's spring, I guess. Perennial is kind of like a spring word.
0: Right now it's cool and uh, the trees are blooming, which is nice.
1: Yeah, soon we're going to have some leaves, some more shade.
0: And that's the news. Join us next week.
1: That's all you need to know. Okay, let's talk about a story that you've been following that you were kind of forced into, dual-use solar in Northfield. I know you like policy and you like to explore the bigger picture on things that are happening that might affect our community long-term, and this is definitely one of them. So. Well, well, tell no, us what do we need to know?
0: Well, no, no one's been forced into anything here. I just want to make it clear we are not not hostage to uh, to our readers or to any other sector of the community. You know, Northfield is outside of our, our core coverage towns of uh, Montague and its villages, Irving Gill, Leverett, and Wendell. But you know, it's a, a big enough story that was already sloshing its way into our pages. There's a, a proposal to build, you know, some pretty big solar arrays on, on a piece of prime Connecticut River Valley farmland on Pine Meadow Road in Northfield. Very controversial. Locally, um, you know, I tend to uh, avoid these things as the as the editor of the Montague Reporter if they're not right in our, our um, area because, you know, there's enough uh, usually things to argue about right in our towns. Um, I know that I think what would be one of the largest solar arrays in the state is proposed to be built in Chutesbury, uh, not far out of our range. So, um, you know, it's nice to be able to say this is just outside of our zone. Uh, There's other papers that can deal with this. But in the case of this Northfield one, the longer things went and and the closer of a look I got, the more I became interested in covering it. Not just because of the, the story itself about the proposal and the site and what the abutters feel about it and the, the folks in town government feel about it and, and all of that. But because the feeling is it's a little bit of a, a flagship of, of this emerging new policy or policy loophole uh, at the state level where you can clean a, a fairly large subsidy relative to the rest of the the solar subsidies available in the state if you can get it to qualify as being dual use and then the Devil is in the details, and and the question really comes down to what counts as uh, farming.
1: What are some other dual-use examples?
0: Well, I mean, my understanding is that that, um, this is something that is happening in other parts of the world, um, France and Japan and and so forth. Here in Mass, there is not a lot of established science about what can continue to grow in our region's uh, climate, a lot of the proposals that are going forward so far focus on, on livestock. Um, and, and so does this one. So, you know, there's not, they have to get it. There's a whole process uh, of getting these things approved at the state level and the state wants to see consultation with uh, the UMass clean energy extension and agricultural extension for, you know, their kind of, um, thumbs up as to, yeah, this, we think this would be viable. And, uh, my understanding is that so far the the thing that feels the safest is is livestock. So having you know sheep in this case grazing underneath these panels.
1: I really liked your interview with Nathan Latoile, who's the son of the landowners of Four Star Farms, and he was he's I mean he's a hands-on farmer there as well. So just to summarize, the project is. 65 acres of farmland and they would put a solar temporary solar panels, solar arrays on 65 acres of the land the farm is 260 i think acres and there would be 500 sheep grazing
0: More or less, more or less, and more or less. Uh, less. Temporary meaning it's a 20 year project and then could be extended to to 25, 30 years. Um, And then in theory, uh, everything gets ripped out. The farm is just back to normal farmable. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people have raised questions about how just easy it is to do that. The acreage, uh, I think 65 is how many actual acres of panels and not the total, you know, what would be affected by having the, the solar arrays built there, mm-hmm. which is a bit bigger. There's, you know, access roads and mm-hmm. uh, poles and what's the zone for, for runoff and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's, it's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Ends up being roughly half of pretty good sized parcel for, for our area that this family owns up there. And was historically a dairy farm and uh, most of what they've done since the 80s there is uh, turf growth as well as leasing out um, some of the land to uh, mostly other farmers to grow vegetables on.
1: Yeah, I thought that was kind of surprising to read because I never really think about turf growing but turf is basically like sod, right?
0: Yep yep okay. um, so
1: they grow they grow like grass <laughs> landscaping grass at the farm.
0: Yeah. Um, but they, they've mm-hmm. discontinued that. Um, his mother, who's one of the, the farmers, Bonnie Tucker Littwell, um comes from a, a big Rhode Island turf family. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they were, um, I guess, growing growing turf um, that was being sold through that family's corporation. And I mean, that has a big impact on the land, <laughs> according to some people I've talked to. There's so many factors here as to what's a good use of land or, or who it should be up to to have an opinion on what's a good use of land. And uh, the upshot Mm -hmm. is um, there's a tremendous amount, potentially, of uh, solar development coming to Western Mass in the next few years. Part of this is a consequence of the the way that state program is set up to qualify for the subsidies, which is really how most of the solar is developed. The Western part of the Eversource block is being combined with the Eastern part in the next round. So we could really, I mean, this could be solar, solar, solar in the next few years and the, the subsidies shrink for the developers, um, but if if it's easier to put in a application to do something and, and have it qualify as dual use, then that equation really changes and that, that could look really appealing to to investors. So the big scenario that we're seeing is you know if if there can be rotating flocks of of sheep which could just be brought in to graze under these panels, um, qualifies them for the dual use subsidy, uh, could really be a game changer. And what, what this developer, Blue Wave Solar, um, is, is doing is, uh, you know, setting up uh, another small farmer who has some sheep um, with kind of a, the core of the operation, you know, where the lambing would happen and the winter home for the sheep. And the, the solar developer is actually building all the infrastructure, all the housing and the wells and the fencing and everything um, so that, you know, this uh, shepherd can, can have a home base and then, you know, it could scale up. And there, there's been even some discussion um, about about that being part of the model. And I, I think that people should be watching this closely because um, if this all goes through, it, it could really change the outlook for for solar power development in Western Mass.
1: And Nathan Latoile was really open about that, kind of embracing it in the interview, saying like, I want to do this right. I want to make it. I want to do as good a job as I can because I know this is one of the first examples of citing solar on a farm for dual use at this scale.
0: Right, and so he's not just uh, a client; <laughs> he's also, uh, in some ways, the uh, you know, unofficial president of dual use solar in. Massachusetts as it emerges um, he is uh, the regional director of this group the American farmland trust uh, which is a national group um, you know represents uh, farmers interests and tries to tries to preserve um, farmland you know I'm, I'm still continuing to talk to to different parties about this and, and hoping um, to get more more coverage in um, in the coming weeks about these different parts of it you know even if this uh, northfield project is approved or not approved but you know I think that the the bigger picture here you know, the American Farmland Trust had been generally opposed to to dual use uh, he, he'd been involved in you know he's a former um, I think assistant commissioner at the mass Department of Agriculture and really has a, a deep and diverse background in the state policy world around you know forests and, and uh, farmland and uh, has been part of a, a project um, since 2019, that American Farmland Trust started with a few other organizations um, who have been working on different sides of the issue, um, sometimes opposing sides, to, to figure out um, what they called, I think, smart siting for dual use. So essentially to, to work out a compromise policy, because the state has a, a really tremendous desire to, well, you know, the state has goals for, for reducing uh, emissions overall. And a big part of that, you know, needs to be renewable energy development. And there's a, so there's a big push to get more solar online, but, you know, where do you put it? Where do you put it? So he had been himself involved in, in these projects and conversations and then is now apparently recused from those and not doing solar at AFT while uh, one of the, the very most important projects goes through uh, on his uh, parents' land. So he certainly has skin in the game, um, is one way to look at it, you know. Uh, he's not, not a policymaker who, you know, uh, isn't, isn't going to be affected uh, positively or negatively by by these decisions.
1: We will keep an eye on this story, and I'm sure you're going to continue to cover it for readers.
0: Watch this space.
1: And the paper. Anything else to add?
0: Well, I mean, this probably gets into the next thing to talk about. But, you know, it was really nice just to get up there and walk around on the farm with them. One thing to, you know, there's all of these nuts and bolts of, of these policies, but uh, just as someone who is also a reporter, starting to feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's nice to be able to, to meet up with people face to face and do some walking and talking.
1: Which is what you did with Emma Ellsworth in the most recent April 22nd edition of the Montague Reporter.
0: I've been doing these, as our readers will know, kind of long form written transcribed interviews, which are, you know, big. (laughs) They're, They're a lot of work, but they're, I think, a lot of fun. And we get good feedback generally from readers about them. You can really get into detail in a different way, just in being able to have back and forth conversations um, that doesn't come out with with traditional news reporting. And I like this as, as a, as a direction, you know, it fills up a lot of page space, which is often helpful, <laughs> um, sometimes a problem. Mm-hmm. What'd you think about this one?
1: I thought it was a great interview. It was very personal. Emma really talked about growing up in the area and her relationship with the land and with her father and, yeah, it was kind of touching in a way.
0: Yeah, it was pretty pretty incredible. Um, you know, she's the the new executive director at Mount Grace, which is like one of the big conservation land trust um nearby and, you know, a big big player locally for sure. And uh yeah, we were walking down Meadow Road in Montague Center, um, you know, and uh just the the conversation kind of wove between uh, you know how to how to preserve or why to preserve a little bit what to preserve with a really personal kind of like and here's where I worked you know summers for these other people and here's where you know my father and I we were walking along the Sawmill River and she was talking about you know paddling up it with her with her dad and canoes and well this wasn't really you know something I even knew going into the, the interview but they're preserving um, her, her father was, was Dr. Alan Ross, who was a former Montague Select Board member and public figure in, in town for years. Uh, he, he was instrumental in getting the Book Mill project together, and uh, he passed away in, in October. Mount Grace is uh, developing a, a little canoe put-in for the public on um, land of his uh, on Lower Meadow Road on the Connecticut River.
1: That's great, I guess, <laughs> if, you, if you have access to a boat. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's there's uh I, I can usually borrow a canoe from, from someone. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of trying to trying to get it on top of a car for me. But uh they're they're talking about um having a, a new um boat put in below the dam at Turner's Falls. That's part of the, the power company's final application for their relicensing. So that wouldn't happen, you know, this year if it happens, but, um, that's, that's the proposal on the table from them is to, um, to have, you know, out by the discovery center in Turner's falls, a, a more formal sanctioned place to put in. And then, um, in Montague city, uh, at Poplar street where there is officially a put in, but it's like a real, um, dicey. It's a really like steep embankment at this point. So they're going to totally redo that one too. So it's accessible. And, that little stretch of the Connecticut might have, you know, a lot more boating. There's also, I think, a speed limit on the river um, for for boats. So it can be a really nice kind of tranquil place to paddle around in a couple of years.
1: That sounds nice. It sounds like that might be in my future. I was just thinking about the bridge being closed for two years and the possibilities for when it opens in, who knows, (laughs) 2024, 2023 or 2024. Um, I'm talking about the General Pierce Bridge, which is totally off topic, but I was like, oh, yeah, maybe we could ride our bikes across the bridge one day.
0: Well, we should talk about the General Pierce Bridge. (laughs) (laughs) You and I are recording this podcast on April 26th, the day the bridge closes.
1: This is the last day, and I, um, I drove across it for the last time. A little bit of a little part of me was like, oh, I got to get I got to drive across it one last time. And then as soon as I started driving across, I was like, I do not want to drive across this bridge anymore. See you. See you when you're done, bridge. Yep. You're done being rehabilitated and repaved and hopefully safer feeling. That bridge.
0: um, People I mean, people text me. Uh, friends who know that I edit a newspaper uh, think it's fair um, <laughs> fair to to just text me questions about um, the the world at large, uh, <laughs> and I've fielded a lot over the last few months about when is that bridge going to close? When is mm-hmm. that bridge going to close? And um, Masta finally announced it on Thursday, right after our, our paper was out. So. Uh, we got we got scooped by the recorder on that one solidly oh. just because of the the luck of the draw. So but it's going to be closed till yeah twenty twenty three officially.
1: Mm-hmm. We'll see how on time the construction goes.
0: Yeah, uh, as well as its impact on on you know the other two bridges, the one between Greenfield and Turners, and the one between Gill and Turners.
1: Anyway, I did have a question related to your big picture interviews sometimes you write that, you know, the, the, it's a transcript from a recording. How, how do you do that?
0: Uh, usually just with my phone. I've got a little app on my, on my smartphone. Um, that's a recorder. I should say anyone listening in Massachusetts, um, there's very good privacy laws, uh, around quote unquote wiretapping, um, uh, which includes just taping anyone. Um, it's a, two-party consent state. So don't go taping anyone without them knowing it because that's Mm -hmm. illegal as well as probably uh, unethical. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, if I have the consent of a subject, (laughs) very important. My trick has been just to try to really encourage getting into it and to not really care too much about where the conversation goes and just let it run its course. I tell people usually, you know, If you want to talk about anything and and have it be off record and not make it in, just let me know. I'll honor that. Get folks talking. It helps if we're both interested in in the topic at hand. Usually I end up with like a pretty long tape that I have to cut way down. And that's that's where all the work is.
1: So does it take you forever to transcribe it? Or do you just decide I'm going to transcribe certain parts? Or do you pay someone to transcribe it?
0: Funny you should ask. Because, uh, you know, so I usually, my process is usually a little bit obsessive. I'll usually transcribe the whole thing myself by hand, by keyboard, and then go through. But I've been busy juggling other projects. And uh, this time, for the first time, um, finally kind of um, sucked it up. Spring for, for the first time, otter.ai.
1: Oh, it's an automated transcription service.
0: Yep. Yep. Uses, you know, neural networks or whatever, uh, <laughs> um, you know, so I then broke up the tape and uploaded the files separately and, and mm-hmm. dumped them into this thing. And then uh, it kind of like grinded its gears and gave transcripts, which parts of them are really surprisingly good. And then, you know, the, the stuff that was wrong was sometimes uh, pretty far off. It has nice. its own downsides and I've got to figure out, you know, if it's worth the, the price, but uh, I think overall it is. It It'll be a time saver once I get used to it.
1: This is not sponsored content.
0: No, not sponsored content. Um, totally if, if honest review. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say B minus so far. Um, <laughs> and if anyone out there, you know, has been using something else that they want to recommend over over Otter, you know, get in touch. I'm I'm totally interested in all ears. It's definitely cool that these uh, these artificial intelligences are getting getting better getting smarter
1: is it good though <laughs> uh, do you worry that all of these machine skills will take over and replace us
0: i think i welcome it at this point they're benevolent right nothing's ever gone wrong with the uh, technology running amok etc
1: never never Also, it sounds like you've never seen, like, a dystopian sci-fi movie ever. (laughs) No. Never. (laughs) Um, Do you use any
0: artificial intelligence in your daily life?
1: uh, Of course. I mean, you can't. I don't think you can get through uh, daily life. Well, of course you can. It's difficult to go without the use of artificial intelligence but i think if you use any social media or like any kind of like website with algorithms built in like you're just using ai
0: yeah we have very little artificial intelligence otherwise going into the production of the monarchy reporter our writers are all still humans and Mm. uh, it's all laid out by by human hand and eye. maybe there's other as far as I know, I guess I guess some of my writers I haven't met. So, you know, they could just be scripts running somewhere. I doubt it. Yep. Um, but it makes me wonder, you know, if, if a few years from now, you know, I have one of these big picture interviews where I'm talking with, with a local, local post-human intelligence. But until that happens, uh, I am looking for folks to interview. What I like doing with this series is kind of... Um, local people who are positioned to see kind of multiple pieces of the puzzle and be able to talk to them, you know, about, quote unquote, the big picture, which is the title of the series that we run. So if you have ideas for for interesting people to talk to, definitely like get in touch.
1: How can listeners get in touch with you?
0: Uh, If they've got email, um, usually the one checking editor at org.
1: Great. You also wanted to talk about long-term growth of the Montague Reporter. And by that, I really don't know what you mean. So what do you mean
0: by that? Yeah, I mean, me neither. <laughs> uh, I think just like uh, reflecting a- as we come out, knocking on wood, uh, of this global pandemic, at least in in this area or this country, and uh, can, can start trying to put together a back to normal. Uh, I think I've mentioned on the podcast about how I'm excited to, to start having more volunteers in. Definitely mentioned in print about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the paper's only gotten better during this um, time of, of sequestration and, and isolation. I really want to see what happens when people can can mingle and have fun. And there's like events also that we're covering where people are mingling and having fun. (laughs) You know, I think that we're in a good position right now with the Montague reporter and it's exciting.
1: Good. Wow. That's good to hear. But what do you mean by a good position? Um, Besides having an awesome newspaper
0: well, you know, we're not about to go under, um, we've picked up readers through the pandemic and, um, going online more, um, mm-hmm. folks seem to get it in terms of it's probably technically freely accessible, but, uh, you know, <laughs> we're not like super rich <laughs> people. So, uh, you know, if they can donate, uh, it helps us. And that's what, what keeps us running and that it's also, you know, pretty, pretty, um, porous to and inviting of participation uh from the community as a whole and i think we've got all of our fundamentals down and we have a podcast
1: yeah i I will just add about um being porous like probably half of the bonus episodes i do are me seeking um Seeking out the interview. And the other half are people who just email me or call me or reach out and say, Hey, you should do an episode with me or like about XYZ. So if you have any ideas, um email us podcast at montaguereporter.org. Just writing your coattails of <laughs> announcements, Mike. We're
0: both seeking interview subjects. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe we'll do do an integrated one sometime where we just do a podcast with them and write it down.
1: Yeah. That would be uh, cool.
0: Yeah, I wonder if if at some point both of these projects will grow to the point where we're competing with each other instead of cooperating.
1: What? How could that be? I don't think so.
0: Stranger things have happened.
1: What? You're you're actively suggesting that one day the the podcast and the newspaper are going to be competing for the same Audience, I
0: don't know. I mean, we could become ideological rivals.
1: If we're going to become ideological rivals, then um, we could start here on the podcast. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure how that would be. I don't think we're that far apart ideologically.
0: Right, but but our successors might take it in different directions.
1: Who is my successor?
0: Who is my successor? <laughs> I don't
1: know that successor. Well,
0: yeah, I if don't know your successor there... either. <laughs> If anyone out there um, would like to be a newspaper editor, um, I am uh, taking apprentices, taking applications for apprenticeship.
1: Wow. This is a pretty big announcement, actually, Mike. Are are you serious about this?
0: I mean, fairly serious. You know, it's, it's like I, I don't know what the exit strategy is. Uh, yeah. Um, I wouldn't want anyone else to train in in quite the way I trained in. So
1: trial by fire.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, trial by fire, trial by drowning, um, mm-hmm. all of the different all the different ways you can tell that someone is actually an editor. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, I think that being being on pretty solid ground, we should be thinking about the long term. So it's not super lucrative. Are but, you kidding you know, me? It's, it's the paper.
1: it's 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 like the opposite of it's like a vow of poverty. Like if you want to be a monk, like. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much money you make, but um, that's my
0: impression. <laughs> it helps if you don't care too much about nice things. I mean, you know, to be, to be totally realistic, like I, I don't think that I could be a parent and run this paper. And that's like a, a real thing and a real privilege. Mm.
1: Um,
0: so, I mean, I there's no... The, <laughs> the economics of, of um, you know, the, I guess, media overall right now are just so... Bad, and uh, mm. we hear a lot about it because media people talk about it. But it, it really is—you um, know—we don't have a system right now at this point in history in our country that is sustaining um, journalism properly. So um, anything that exists is is either you know one one end or the other. It's uh, weird things that are being subsidized by uh, venture capital, like Substack. Um, I don't know if you're following that whole controversy or
1: Mm, just a little
0: um, you know little volunteers on the other end for the most part we're very dependent on volunteers and haven't yet found the the evil angel investors who want to you know subsidize the uh development of the intellectual dark web or whatever's going on there
1: anyway uh credits Thank you for listening to the Montague Reporter podcast.
0: Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. It helps us get more listeners.
1: You can buy the actual paper at a local business or get it delivered to your house by subscribing on our website, montagereporter.org slash subscribe.
0: Thank you to Blue Dot Sessions for the music.
1: Big thanks, as always, to Greenfield Community Television for technical support and equipment.
0: We'll be back with new episodes soon.
1: Email me at podcast at montaguereporter.org with any comments or if you don't have an email address, call Mike at 413-863-8666, but only if you have some positive feedback or want to be interviewed.
0: Thanks so much Um, for doing another podcast.
1: Of course.
0: Good luck with the editing.
1: Thanks.